0: Welcome to On Renewal. This is your host, Sam Sager, and today's discussion is with physical therapist Sam Martin, or better known on Twitter as Move Better Pro. It fits perfectly within the theme of how we can build resilience and adaptability into ourselves. In this case, by unwinding the restrictions that prevent our capacity to move or give us pain. Sam provides a reminder that our bodies and mobility are not fixed. Rather, there are simple techniques that we can use that not only increase our movement capabilities, but help us feel good in our own bodies. This was a meaty conversation, so let's jump in. Sam, welcome. How are you doing today?
1: Doing very well, Sam. Good to be on the podcast and uh, always good to spend a little time with another namesake.
0: Yes, absolutely. It, there's so much I want to nerd out with you on, on movement and uh, just all the, the world of the, the human body. Um, but first, I, I'm just super intrigued by your story. It seems like you were a, a fellow econ guy. Um, mm-hmm. you, you studied that in undergrad. Did you have a yeah. plan of something you are going to do with that?
1: Yeah, well, actually, econ, so I went to the University of Chicago for undergrad. So I was a physics major early in college and just could not hack it when it came time to get to the higher levels of that where the math gets really hard and econ at the university of Chicago is the easy major. That's what all the football players major in. So plus my dad uh, just retired from Michigan state university where he taught economics. So econ was kind of the easy way out of getting Mm. a degree from undergrad and my dad, as he very frequently did late uh, in school, could help with my homework. So I, I am definitely intrigued by economics and um, I like it, but it was, it was more of an escape route for me at the time. And I have only ever used that degree to interpret uh, macroeconomic events and, and news stories and uh, I have not really done anything with it since college.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's very common for ECAD people. I mean, it's a lot of the theoretical stuff that we study is, is not super practical, although I do think it's like a, a good way of thinking and all that. And then it sounds like you you went to LA for a, a pretty interesting reason. Could you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I graduated college in 2009 and um, I had taken a year off of undergrad uh, after my third year. Um and I worked in a coffee shop and uh, did standup at nights, basically did a lot of open mic nights. Um, and I thought I had a little talent in that direction. And I moved to L.A. with the intention of, of doing stand-up and being becoming a comedian. Um, I think Seth Rogen once told a joke where he, he said that somebody said, I wanted to be a boxer until I sparred with somebody who really wanted to be a boxer. That I didn't want to be a boxer anymore. And I wanted to be a stand-up comedian until I moved to LA and started going to open mic nights with people who really wanted to be stand-up comedians. And then I kind of quickly realized it wasn't for me, wasn't going to happen, but I was out there and many thousands of miles from home in Michigan where I grew up. And I was not going to retreat at that point and just move back to my parents' house and, and figure something else out. So I was really into... CrossFit at the time, had started doing the workouts off the website uh, in the college gym in Chicago and had gotten an internship at a gym called CrossFit LA, which is actually not in LA, but in Santa Monica and was like, maybe I could do something with this. And so I kind of worked my way up into being a CrossFit coach. And then that exposure to strength and conditioning, helping people learn how to move better, that kind of started the whole uh, domino uh, rally that eventually led to the physical therapist you now see in front of you.
0: Do you have a sense of what it was that kind of sucked you in?
1: Yeah. So I got into strength coaching um, because I really liked the energy around the place that I worked at that time, CrossFit LA. Uh, and the fact that there were these pe- people who were trying to get better and improvement in the The positivity that we often associate with exercise. And then for myself, you know, when about a personal transformation, physically and mentally with understanding CrossFit was really one of the key things for me, where I realized that if you worked really hard at something, you got better at it, and then you felt better about yourself. Um, And so that kind of got me into wanting to, I just want to do this, I want to spend more time around this. And then, Learned how to coach a little bit and teach people how to move. And I had some really good instructors uh, that I work with that kind of taught me how to coach. And they really emphasized the importance of knowing what you're doing and not, there's a lot of, we could go, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the fitness industry writ large later, but there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing and don't understand um, underlying concepts and, and anatomy and biomechanics and kinesiology, et cetera. But really understanding what you're doing and the problem solving nature of coaching. I think was what I found most appealing.
0: You mentioned the skill acquisition part. And I think that's such an underrated part of the, the fitness, physical exercise world, because the skill acquisition can be pretty complicated. I mean, there's all the biomechanical stuff. There's the kind of neuromuscular connection. Do you have any, just from you know all your years of experience thoughts on like the principles of movement skill acquisition, just like, how people can start thinking about that more intentionally rather than just like, Oh, I'm going to start to learn how to squat and I'll just figure it out eventually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so one of my clinical instructors was a guy named Kit Durbin, who now treats complex lower back pain in Utah um, and amazing physical therapist. And he and I had this kind of saying we use, which is actually everything is neuromuscular reeducation. No matter what time code you're billing, no matter what it looks like, The only thing you can really change in any quick time, any quick time period is the nervous system and the way that your brain and and nerves control movement. Even if you're putting your hands on somebody and doing, oh, I'm doing manual therapy. I'm not ultimately changing the structure of the muscle by pushing on it. What I'm changing is the way the brain controls that muscle. So if a muscle is quote unquote tight and I do manual therapy, say on your upper trapezius and it's like, Oh, I'm really tight here. And I get it to relax. I'm not changing the structure of the muscle in one session. It's just not possible. What I'm changing is the amount of contraction that your brain is causing in that muscle, uh, to allow you to move more. And when it comes to skill acquisition, when you're teaching someone to do X, um, I think that lens of thinking about it is you're changing the way your brain controls movement. Like everything is neuromuscular education. Everything is motor learning in that way. There are lots of specific strategies around that. You can talk about in terms of the way you structure practice, blocked random practice, et cetera, how many repetitions, you know, how to break down the movement into parts, put them back together. And that we could talk all day about, but fundamentally I think thinking about, motor learning or skill acquisition as a brain centered activity and not saying, Oh, it's all in the brain and not in the body. It's all the same. Like the brain, the body, that's all one thing. Like, you're not like, Oh, here's the brain over here. And here's the body over here. Like that's one unit and they work together. And like, if you're teaching someone to shoot a basketball, you know, we could break down all the different elements of shooting a basketball, but fundamentally, in this, we both played baseball. You played it in college. I just played in high school, but when you're learning to hit the very basic level is C ball, hit ball, right? That's the number one thing. Just like toss the ball up, hit it or put it on a tee, hit it with the bat. Then we can, that's very simple. Then we can get extremely complex with things like here's, you know, you want 60% of your weight in the back foot, 40% of your weight in the front foot, foot. You want to step stride this much. You want to rotate your hips. Like, so you want your hands to take this path. You want to do all these elements of the baseball swing that you can teach someone. But then when you get back to sport performance, it becomes once again, C ball, hit ball. Yes. So the learning is everything in between that kind of like the midwit meme, the, the bell curve meme mm. you see on Twitter all the time, like the the dumb guy says, "C ball, hit ball." The smart guy says, "C, mm. C ball, hit ball." In the middle, you've got all this lo- complexity, but you're just trying to make something simple once again.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. It what you're describing here around the the brain and neuromuscle is so important. I think people think of the muscles and the body as disconnected, and they miss this bigger piece and and how it how it all all connects. And I think like you know, I've kind of gone down some of these rabbit holes, and you hear people talk about how these protective patterns, these things that we can't do are often as much in our brain as the muscles. Like it's, it's our brain saying, you know, it's not safe to do that more so than the muscle on the skill acquisition side. You know, I think a lot about what, you, what you're describing the way I would rephrase it just in my own language is like, there's this form of unconscious performance of just seaball ball hit ball. And then there's the conscious learning of like all the other pieces and you have to be able to like this, like skill acquisition in many ways is doing the conscious stuff to then get back to the unconscious. Yes, Have you thought
1: about it like that at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, that there's, I forget the exact terms, but I think it's along the lines of what you were saying. There's sort of unconscious, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, then unconscious, com, unconscious competence. Um, so you're trying to get back to the place where it's automatic, uh, through learning complicated, uh, a bunch of complicated activities. And yeah, you know, my dad, uh, always tells me that like, when I do Sam workouts, that it's, you feel like you're not doing anything, but you're exhausted by the end of it. Because what I always encourage people to focus on is, you know, doing the movement, not like, perfectly but focusing on there's always something to be working on and improving so you know training is just practice uh and that's kind of one of the things about like you know i have a background in crossfit and one of the reasons i kind of moved away from that is that the training in crossfit is very much geared towards being a performance and like it's game day and every day is game day and you want to work utilize competition and intensity and leverage those things to make physiological physiological changes and intensity is great. Intensity is really effective. But to me, you get more in the short and long term by focusing on practice and approaching with beginner's mind and trying to improve. Because one of the things I would tell people when I was back when I was a CrossFit coach was like, always remember that you're not any good. Like you are not that good, not to make anybody feel bad, but like there's nothing at stake. This is not game seven Mm. of the finals. Like, Right. What's at stake for you is improvement and focus on what you can improve more so than maximizing your you know, score on
0: this day. That That's my frustration with a lot of the fitness world. And I, I describe it to people as there's a difference between just exercise and training, like a CrossFit workout and Orange Theory workout. That's exercise. You're moving your body. You're getting your heart rate up but it's very rare unless you have a really good coach that you've controlled enough of the variables that you've slowed down, that you've been intentional enough that you're actually training with, with a specific goal in mind. And so I, I think what you're getting at is you can actually do less, but be more intentional and drive more results because you controlled the right things and you designed it in a way where it was aiming towards something.
1: Yeah. And even outside the context of CrossFit, I think people, a lot of people love deadlifting, for example. And, uh, you know, there's like how, you know, it's about progressing the weight that you deadlift. That's the way that people measure progress for uh, powerlifting or, or that type of weightlifting. But very few people talk about the skill of deadlifting. Like, are you focused on just deadlifting more or are you want, do you want to get better at deadlifting? Like the amount of weight you can deadlift is not an accurate measure of your skill in the movement of hip hinge. It measures your resilience in a way in terms of how much load you can move and your strength, but getting better at the skill of deadlifting actually does make you better at the sport of powerlifting, which is measured in terms of how much weight you can move, but that focus and, and, especially that's one of the hardest things as a physical therapist or a strength coach or whatever, is somebody who can move a lot of weight that has a, there's like, no, I'm good at deadlifting because I can Mm. deadlift X number of pounds. And to say, actually, no, you're not the there's here. I can like look at the tape of you moving and point out some things that you need to improve. And they're like, well, yeah, but I'm good at deadlifting. It's like, okay. I mean, if you say so.
0: Yeah. And your spine and all these things are, you know, at risk every single time you do it. That that leads into one thing I wanted to chat with you about. What are some movement patterns that you just think that, you know, everybody should be trying to be able to do in their lives?
1: Yeah, I would say everyone should be squatting in some way. And whether you want to or not, you're squatting because you sit down and stand up. Like you have to do those things. Um, Everyone should be able to hinge in some way. You need to pick objects up. You want to be able to do that in an efficient, safe way. Everyone should be able to pull something and push something. If you do that, you're on the right path. Um and then, you know, some kind of locomotion. Walking, running, crawling, etc. Those are all all great tools. We could talk all day about each one of those. But I think those are kind of the fundamentals for people uh, in terms of movement. And then how you sort of prepare the dish, the seasonings you put on each of those um, will vary from person to person. And depending on your level of strength, flexibility, et cetera, but some version of all of those is, w- is beneficial to a lot of people. Can you do that in different planes? Now, everybody does push-ups. Okay, can you press overhead? Can you press downwards? Can you support yeah. your body on parallel bars, for example, in a dip style movement? If you have to hold on to something there, can you support your body hanging? Can you move between those different positions? Um, can you support yourself upside down? You know, can you do a handstand Um, all thinking of, of all, whatever pattern it is thinking of it through multiple different planes. Um, And ultimately the, the real goal is resilience. I think to be able to tolerate a wide range of movements and not get injured. And that is the superpower. I think more so than being able to perform at the highest level, unless you're a professional athlete.
0: I love the, the recipe metaphor and, and use it frequently myself because I think that people get so overwhelmed by all the things they could do and should do. And they've heard um, that others say, oh, you have to do this. And I like your framework because it's saying, if you find ways to hit all those things, it doesn't matter exactly which exercises. Find one you enjoy. Just make sure you're doing all those things and piece them together in a way. And you'll be more resilient. You'll be um, kind of have a more holistic approach to training. I'm curious because I think you're talking a bit about kind of the mobility side of it And I think a lot in terms of resiliency over life, I think if people can start to think about how they are training themselves just to be able to go through everyday life as they age, it's a really good frame. A piece of that is building strong bones, which I don't think enough people talk about. And then I'm super curious for your thoughts on like creating more resilience in tendons and ligaments. That's an area that I I don't even, I don't know if I've heard many people talking about how you can intentionally do that.
1: Yeah. So The first person I ever heard talk about this is a guy named Christopher summer, who is a gymnastics coach. And he has a company called they used to be called gymnastic bodies. And now I think it's called gymfit.tv. And he's completely insane, uh, on a personal level. I've done seminars with him and he's just, he's a total nut, but he has a great point when it comes to connective tissue, which is that, uh, If you want connective tissue to change, it will change, but it changes very slowly. And it doesn't get the same level of blood flow uh, as muscle does. And ultimately, blood supply is going to allow tissues to change. The way you change connective tissue, whether it's tendon or ligament or bone, even bone is a connective tissue, is loading through the largest range of motion possible for the highest number of repetitions possible. Well, maybe not the highest number possible, but higher repetitions. So for example, if my elbow joint is uh, having problems, or I say I want my goal is to develop the connective tissues around the elbow joint, I want to do as much full range elbow extension and flexion and forearm pronation supination as possible under load through the the load that I can tolerate through the true full range of motion. And that's, I think, the biggest argument for full range training and a recent example, and a guy who's risen to some prominence is Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy on YouTube. And he's all about what he's done. And he's another guy who's probably kind of a little bit insane uh, in, in terms of like the way he's applying things, but he's just taken that principle of full range loading and applied it rigorously throughout lower body and upper body training. And he gets incredible results from that. And really all it is, is just training every single joint through the biggest range possible. If you want your knee ligaments and connective tissues to be strong, flex the knee as far as it goes, like smush your hamstring against your calf and extend it as far as it goes. You're not going to be able to tolerate as much load through those than you will through a more mid-range movement, like a barbell back squat, where you're only flexing the knee to 90 or hundred degrees, something like that. But that's what changes connective tissue is that full range loading uh, more so than just like mid range high weight, low reps
0: to a lot of people about what I call like forces of decay, which is just like, whether we like it or not our bodies I and mean, you see it with the charts around like muscle strength and muscle muscle mass, it just decreases. Is that something you think most people should be thinking a bit about?
1: I think that they go hand in hand, um, you know, bone, you're right that every tissue generally degrades over time. If you look at any study of, uh, you know, any group of people, it's going to show that muscle mass will decrease over time. However, the counterpoint to that is that anyone can increase any of those characteristics, whether it's muscle mass, uh, there's less in terms of evidence for things like connective tissue. But I think that's just because we haven't looked, there's not a lot of studies on like radical full range loading because it's, it's sort of been frowned upon. Traditionally people have an understanding of like never squat below parallel or something, you know, that type of thinking, but with definitely with bone density and muscle mass, you can increase those things up to and beyond 100 years of age with resistance training. So Mm. even though, yes, they do decline over time, any individual person for their case can reverse that decline or manage that decline. um, and, It's going to, I think in terms of implementation, it's going to be the same thing of, you know, loading through the biggest range of motion possible um, that's for that person. So, you know, for some, for an individual, maybe doing a sit to stand exercise, like sitting on a chair and standing back up five times, that's their full range of motion and the largest load that they can tolerate. But that still is going to be amazingly productive for that person given their circumstance at changing all the variables that you mentioned.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful point because I think we think in terms of like, oh, I have to be doing a certain level that other people are doing. And I think the beauty of progressive overload is if you take yourself further than you're normally doing, if you if you're normally doing A and you just start to do a little bit more, like you're you're challenging your body, you're putting it under new stress and it will adapt in some way. And so I think I think that's super cool it's funny, you mentioned the growth mindset earlier, and it was making me reflect back in when I was a, a college athlete, I had a growth mindset for how I could do hitting a baseball, my strength, I, I, I had no doubt I could get stronger if I put in effort. But I had a very fixed mindset for two things. I didn't think I could get that much faster, which is hard. But I think looking back, I probably could have. But the other one was, I just assumed my mobility was fixed. Like I, I was not a very flexible person. And I just was like, nobody, Convinced me that that was something that I could change, and I'm way more flexible now. I have better mobility, and it it's the one thing I regret most about playing sports is that I didn't work on that then. Do, do you find that a lot of people have a a fixed mindset when it comes to to movement and mobility?
1: Yes. That's the way that people talk about it is, uh, you know, I am flexible. I am stiff, mm. you know, that's a, a, viewed as sort of like a core element. And I don't blame people because nobody tells you otherwise really. Right. Yes. I think people do often have a fixed mindset about that. And I was no different than you, Sam. I, yeah. people, when I was late in my strength coaching career, kind of towards the end of working in CrossFit gyms, people would say, Oh, well, yeah, but you're just really flexible. And without understanding that three or four years before that, I was known as being Mr. Stiff, you know, like Mr. Can't Move, like can't get yeah. his arms overhead. I was someone who grew up uh, with very stiff muscles, very tight. I, I uh, would, you know, on the president's physical fitness test, you know, got zero on the like forward fold wow. test always really inflexible. And I have that bone spur on my heel because bone responds. We talked about bone being changeable bone responds to tension. When your calves are insanely tight, when you're in puberty, you grow a bone spur on your heel. Um, And now I can move decently far from perfect, but it's, it's, you know, the steady 1% compound interest gains of working on it. Uh, that over a long period of time and it's I think mobility is harder to change than other aspects for many people but mm. it's as we mentioned earlier like things like connective tissue take a long time to change and structures take a
0: long time to change all right I'm going down in a side that probably nobody but us cares about but hey why not So I saw something that you mentioned that you have a bit of a history with IBS and I have a history of celiac. And so as I was a, a teenager going into college and playing, I was basically undiagnosed celiac. And so my gut was a disaster. And I, you know, I, I, it was senior year of college when like my whole body just started falling apart. Like I couldn't recover from workouts. I was like, oh, this is a real problem. I dealt with it. And it unlocked so much when I did. And I'm wondering if you think that like that level of like inflammation, like just gut stuff, like Is that a contributor to just general stiffness, mobility?
1: Yeah, that would be a great experiment to run. And I can't speak with any kind of authority on that, but I do like, it's definitely the case that any inflammation is going to affect the way that you move, whether the, you know, your ability to like, we could measure strength, your ability to maximally contract a muscle, pardon me, you can measure pain with movement or, or stiffness and things like that. Inflammation, you know, acute inflammation is great. You have an injury, you get blood flow, it swells up, your tissues heal. Um, chronic inflammation as is the case with people who have gut related issues, which is way more people than probably think they have it, um, is, is going to have some impact and it's not positive. So I don't know that there's like a huge, I wouldn't say like putting someone on a diet that's appropriate for them that that is healing for their digestion is going to allow them to squat 10% deeper immediately. But it's definitely removing an inflammatory factor that will improve their ability to recover from training. And more ability to recover from training is why people take steroids. So like, that's a very powerful thing.
0: Yeah. I think of it as just, you know, generally creating conditions that are supportive for the the outcomes you want. Exactly. I think this is getting at a, an obvious question, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. Like why are, why are people in today's world so rigid and inflexible? Like what are the main drivers in your opinion of why, you know, you look at a baby and a baby can move with just ease and hit all these. I mean, a, a, I've written about this, like a baby squatting. Every time I see it, it just brings me joy. I'm like, that is, yeah. I want to do that. And then yeah. most people who are 20, 30, like very few people can actually squat. Well, w- yeah. What's the deal.
1: So there's, there's a couple of ways to answer this question. And one is like the, I think more objective thing. And I'll get to that in a second. And then there's the more of like, there's, why does it happen? And then there's, why do we make it happen? And the, why mm. do we make it happen is the great question of existence. You know, I think, um, I think it was one of the Dalai Lamas who said, you know, someone asked him who is the most absurd animal on earth. And he said, man, because he trades his health for money and then tries to buy his health back. Um, and that sounds right. You look at the environment that human beings live in at what age, you know, do kids start wearing shoes? Like, and not that like all like, you, you know, you, you got to keep your kid safe, right? You can't like have them stepping on, on cold uh, sidewalks outside of broken glass or anything, but, you know, very early in a child's life, we take their foot, which is a complex structure that is designed, that has an arch in it. That's designed to be a spring that transfers force to allow a human being to, to move forward, whether it's walking or running that has, I think 33 different, uh, uh, bones in it that has all these different articulations and movement to it. We put it in a shoe that doesn't move at all, that turns it into one joint, which is the ankle joint and makes it into a hinge. So we've taken away the opportunity for all the movement of the foot and we've automatically reduced that person's functional ankle foot and ankle mobility. And then the chair that I'm sitting in right now is not a natural environment for a human being. Human beings are, have evolved to stand walk, squat, lay down, sitting on a, a, like, you know, when you go camping, when there's no chair or picnic table or bench, like you find that sitting for a long time on a rock is not that comfortable. Um, but we spend a ton of time sitting, we adapt to the environment that we live in and the environment we live in does not conducive to moving through a full range of motion. Um, you Most of our, especially in North America, the economy is intellectual labor, which involves working on a computer, which involves being stationary. Um, You're not spending the day, you know, walking, squatting to uh, eliminate, you know, squatting as a resting position. We don't express the full range of motion that we have. And yeah, babies are the like everyone sees babies move. And whether you have the insight that you had or not. Anyone with who's looking for it can see, yeah, you have it all. You had it all and you gave it away. Um, whether it was your choice to do so or not, uh, not saying that to make anybody feel bad, like you messed it up. You were, you were perfect, but we were born with everything we need. And then the environment, we adapt to the environment we live in and the environment doesn't ask that much of us from a moving standpoint. And then it, it's no surprise then that people end up unable to move in certain ways. Cause they, don't, they haven't been asked to do that.
0: So what are some simple things day to day or just small lifestyle tweaks that people can do to start kind of tipping things in their face?
1: Yeah. I think, um, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to changing the way you move, it can be a bit like turning, a tanker around in the ocean. Like it takes some time, like turning a vicious cycle into a virtuous virtuous cycle. You're saying um, we're just a walking Titanic right now. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta do a little extra as you're turning it around is all I mean. Like it takes extra work to change the direction. Once you get it moving in the right direction, there's flywheel effects that make it easier to keep going. But, um, I think, in terms of real practical steps, the simplest thing is just walk more for most human beings. And I think that message has gotten out there. The Fitbit 10,000 step culture has really like gotten out there. And most people understand the value of walking. Um, some kind of uh, movement practice that challenges you in different dimensions. And by movement practice, I mean something where you're moving through fuller ranges of it's challenging your range of motion, as well as potentially your strength. Um, so that could be something like Pilates could be something like weightlifting could be, you know, gym, adult, adult gymnastics, CrossFit actually can be a really great one. Um, there's a million different options. And uh, I'm not here to rank them or anything. But for example, running is not a movement practice. Running can be part of a movement practice. But just like running is your only workout is not challenging your range of motion in in a full enough way, in my opinion. So some kind of a, a movement practice walk more. And then when I say you need to do more early on, that's where like recovery work comes in things like soft tissue work, foam rolling, using lacrosse balls, all the stuff that's on my, my YouTube channel, shout out to the move better project um, is things that you can do quickly to make a change in your range of motion. But I compare that stuff to if say your body is a garden and when it doesn't move that well, it's kind of like there's rocks and weeds in there and doing foam rolling or soft tissue work or going to a PT and having me do manual therapy or sticking acupuncture needles in your muscles, that's weeding the garden, but exercise is planting the crops. You got to go, you got to take advantage of the new range of motion. If you go and somebody, if you, we were in the same room right now and say you were like, my ankle is stiff and I worked on your calf and I stuck it with needles and I smashed it and flossed it and did all these things. And you'd, after that, you'd be like, dang, it moves a lot better. But if you came back two weeks later and you didn't challenge, take it, you didn't take advantage of that. You didn't plant crops. It would be back to the exact same way it was. So the mobility work as this general concept of soft tissue work, stretching, etc. um, can buy you some quick changes in range of motion that then you can take up the slack by training
0: through that new range of motion. So you have to use it or you just start to lose it right back. And,
1: and yeah. That. yeah, there's power That's tools you can use to yeah. give you more ability quickly, but then you got to use it ultimately. Yeah. Like if you don't keep doing it, it's not going to stay.
0: Yeah. One of the hardest parts, I mean, certainly for me, as you're starting to explore this and you just move, you, you start to do some stretching, some kind of movement practices, you just like, there's so much here. Like I have to, my hip is tight, my ankles tight, you know, all these different things. <clears throat> I think one of the things that's most daunting for people is it feels like you have to do everything. And as you start to loosen things up, you just find more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it's like, Oh, I'm stretching for 45 minutes or an hour. And, and I love, I love your point of like thinking of your actual exercise as part of the movement practice. Cause now you're, you're combining and you're killing two birds, one stone, but how do you like, how would you guide someone on starting without getting overwhelmed and feeling like they have to do everything?
1: Yeah. I mean, that is ultimately that's life. Everybody, every aspect of life is that like that all there is, is improvement and change. Like that's, that's the only constant. And so, you know, it it's a novel concept when it comes to movement for many people. Um, and they're like, dang, this is so daunting. However, that same person in their area of expertise, something where they have, uh, made a lot of growth, for example, like, you know, for example, if I was treating the other day, a uh, guy who is a, a financial advisor, a mortgage broker, and he said, you know, I look at everybody's bodies in this clinic who work here, and it's very different from the bodies who work, uh, you know, in, in my field. And I was like, yeah, but if you look at the investment portfolios in your field versus <laughs> yeah. the investment portfolios here, they're different. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. you know, your expertise is where you're going to shine. Um, so yes, it is it can be daunting if you let it, but ultimately so you know, it's daunting, so what? I mean, the only thing you can do is just chip away. And uh I'm a, a college football fan. My team is Michigan State, and they have a head coach whose name is Mel Tucker. And the guy has just captivated my attention because he 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 really gets and summarizes these um these aspects of just accepting reality as it is and work on it. And his big mantra is keep chopping. And I wear like a sweatshirt when I walk the dog every morning, it says, keep chopping. And that's just all there really is to it is to keep chopping, set yourself up, set up a structure for you that allows you to do that. So if what you have space for is 10 minutes in the evening of rolling around on a foam roller lacrosse ball, finding a tight spot just picking whatever the number one priority is at that moment. And then you have 15 minutes in the morning to do deliberate exercise and deliberate movement. And then maybe other than that, you're just walking. That's the only thing you have. Then great. Keep it up. That 15 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, that 25 minutes a day is going to give you tons of compound interest over time, but it takes a long time. You just got to stick with it with what is available for you like meet yourself where you are identify all the problems that you have but the the perspective shift would just be to say rather than it being daunting to just look at it the other way and say look at all this opportunity i have look at all this low-hanging fruit that's sitting right there to make my quality of life better by improving the way that i move
0: Yeah, beautiful. It's it's the the chop wood, carry water, and uh, you know that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that point of like figuring out what you can actually do because so many people are just striving to do something that's not sustainable for their life for for what where they are. I'd love to talk a bit about kind of just different modalities and and maybe maybe the industry overall because. You know, for me, I have gotten so much value out of what I'd call like you know amazing bodywork specialists, and I'm just grouping you know PTs, chiropractors, massage therapists. Um, I I found amazing ones in in all of those, and I found you know experiences where you go to someone and it just is not good, and you don't get any value whatsoever. Um, I, I got a kick out of you shouted out a chiropractor earlier, so I guess yes, you're not one of those PTs that is completely anti chiropractors. I thought uh, I thought it might be a bit like baseball across where there's a, a strong rivalry across the the disciplines.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there definitely that rivalry exists for sure. But it's, I mean, it's not about being a physical therapist or a chiropractor or a massage therapist or, or uh, you know, reflexology practitioner, acupuncturist, whatever it's, are you good at that thing? Like, you know, are you going to, you know, do you have different tools to use on different people that are going to make a difference for them? And the one thing that I think every practitioner that is really effective has is an ability to evaluate and identify the problem. And then direct whatever treatment modality it is at the problem. Cause if you don't know what's going on, you're just trying stuff and hoping for the best. And that I think among physical therapy is the, like, I think people I, I did a thread on Twitter on this recently. It got, got a lot of engagement of like how to choose a physical therapist and you know, I am a physical therapist. So I'm going to be biased towards the way that I do things, but there are things beyond Like, does the person do treatment modality X? You know, for me, I think dry needling is incredibly powerful. I get great results out of it for patients for whom it's appropriate for. But just because somebody does a dry needling doesn't mean they're any good. The single biggest thing is like, do you buy what the person is telling you is going on? Does that make sense to you? Can they explain, can they do some kind of examination, identify where the issue is and explain it to you in clear terms? and be able to reproduce the problem. So like, if you come to me for shoulder pain and I can't reproduce your pain with some kind of a movement or test, then that's, that's sketchy. Then like, you know, how do, how would I know what I'm trying to improve? So like, if you come to me and you have shoulder pain and I do the empty can test, one of my common tests, and it's like, ow. And then we do a treatment and we repeat it. And it's like, okay, that feels a little better Then you know, it's working. It's, is the person doing it you know kind of skillful in their implementation of that thing
0: i think that's that's been my experience it's just that you can find great practitioners in all of those and it it comes down to like you know do you feel like they're like does it work like it sounds stupid but it's like you know when you're with them do you, are they are they, well, the ones that i found they're all great like quicker than you would think. It just feels a bit like magic. Like even if they haven't solved everything, they're showing you something about your body that you didn't know before. And I think it goes back to that neuromuscular thing. So I, I, yeah, I just would love to hear what are some of the, if you don't have to go into a ton of detail, but just shout out like some of the things that you think are most powerful modalities and just like good places for people to start. If they're, they want to explore, you know, working with a bodywork specialist of some kind.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> Generally, the intensity of the treatment is going to correlate to the uh, the intensity of the result. So some people cannot tolerate much in terms of intensity. If you're somebody who's in chronic pain, you know, has had a knee that's been hurting for 10 years off and on, and you have fibromyalgia and um, uh, you have depression and anxiety, like going to somebody who does intense manual therapy and joint manipulation and acupuncture is probably not or not just somebody who does that, but somebody who's going to do those on you is not going to work very well. Um, the tr- treatment has to be tailored to meet the individual at the level that they can tolerate. Um, but in my experience, having received many treatments over the years, the most powerful things that I I have experienced have been dry needling, uh, which is a tr- treatment style. It's used by physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers. I think some other people are allowed to do it. But you stick an acupuncture needle into a spot, whether it's you're trying to affect a muscle or a nerve or connective tissue. um, And it can be quite intense while that needle's in there. So the most common thing people use it for is trigger points. Trigger point being a very uh, pressure-sensitive taut band of muscle fibers that if you push on it, it's like, ah, that really hurts in particular. There are common sites where they arise for most people, but some people just have them like, I got this knot, I have a knot in my calf muscle and it hurts. I can stick an acupuncture needle in there and it feels intense. You'll feel pressure, ache, but then that muscle twitches like involuntary twitch, local twitch response, what it's called. And then it's sore afterwards, but it will not be as firm, it will not be as pressure sensitive, it will not be as painful afterwards. So, that's a very powerful tool and one I use every day that I work. I probably go through, I don't know, 80 acupuncture needles a day, something like yeah. that in my if, clinical practice.
0: If people haven't experienced like dry needling or, or trigger point stuff, it, this is an example where it really feels like magic. I mean, you go to a PT or a chiropractor that's really good at this they'll find the spot. It'll hurt like crazy. They'll then often map it. Like they'll just like find these other spots. They'll touch you in like five places and every one of them hurts and nowhere else they touch you hurts. And then they'll do some crazy things. And all of those painful spots just disappear. It's wild. It makes no sense, but it's really cool.
1: Well, and then, you know, then there's, there's secondary results often. So for example, with shoulder, the most common injury that people come to me for with shoulders is called subacromial impingement where this one muscle, the supraspinatus gets pinched in an arch, a bony arch. It goes through kind of in the area where the col- of the AC joint, basically where the collarbone meets the scapula. And, um, you very frequently when people present with this, I can needle four ish muscles that are not the injured muscle which is the supraspinatus that affect the guarding of the muscles around the scapula that allow the scapula to move differently. And then the person moves their shoulder and their supraspinatus doesn't hurt nearly as much because we've modulated the guarding, which affects the movement. Um, but yeah, dry needling is one. Another one completely different would be rolfing or structural integration or kinesis myofascial integration is what another school is called, but a, a series of very intense massage sessions, uh, deep pressure, sustained pressure uh, can be, some people consider it painful. I wouldn't say it's pain. There's kind of like, I always trying to distinguish for patients. There's hurt good and there's hurt bad. It hurts good like an MF. Like it
0: really hurts good. Would you say um, that's adjacent to like active release technique, ART?
1: Very different. Okay. Very different in that active
0: release technique is
1: can be in intense pressure on one spot, like we yeah. press on the elevator scapula and we yeah. move the shoulder a bunch. And it can be intense. Well thing is more like, let's spend I'm going to spend two minutes or three minutes doing one stroke on that muscle from mm. one end to the other. And then I'm gonna not only work one muscle, I'm gonna follow the sort of meridian or, or like the chain of connective tissue that that muscle leads to.
0: And I haven't haven't done this one, Sam. You're getting me all excited.
1: Yeah, it, 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 I would say I I did a rolfing series back when I was in, uh, when when I was in Chicago, I was working at CrossFit gym. I did a gymnastics course. It, it produced a short-term windfall. And I was, I remember I, I was going to either buy one Bitcoin or, uh, do a rolfing series, and I, I, instead did the Rolfing series. So I, 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 I reaped the, uh, I reaped the, 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 movement rewards and I would say yeah. it was still worth it even as bad as that investment turned out.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's uh, the trade-offs, man. That's life. You know, yeah. you, you, you did the compound interest in your body instead of your bank account. Exactly. Um, no, that's, that's, that's great. Are, are there any other modalities that, you know, whether you're doing them yourself or just like you're thinking about for your own body that like are emerging or maybe a little more fringe, but you're, you're just, your spidey sense is saying, Oh, that thing is interesting. There's, there's some curiosity about that.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. So in terms of like treatments that other people do to you, um, you know, there are other things I think joint mobilization and manipulation which is not accessible like it's hard to you can't do it to yourself in a way um but that can produce big time results when it's indicated now i think some of the the like questions or 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 where there might be disagreement between me and and some chiropractors would be like just manipulating joints alone, a chiropractor calls it an adjustment. A physiotherapist calls it a manipulation. It's the same thing. It's a high velocity, low amplitude thrust where a joint pops or cracks. I don't think that solves a problem. I think it it can produce, in the same way that dry needling does, a dramatic before and after in the way people are able to move and the their experience of moving. Um, that can be really good. But I would, I, I've not gotten every treatment out there, but I think you know other things that are more um hands on and intense if you're looking for something that again when you're turning the boat around when you need to produce change in the way you're able to move and they're able to tolerate movement those things where people do things to you can be really powerful but ultimately they're just weeding the garden you have to plant crops like you have to do exercise and Somebody recently in, in some context said some, that some device, it, w- it was a certain like uh, modality device, very expensive technology uh, called focused focus shockwave therapy Was saying this device is the most evidence-based thing we have in physical therapy. And I, I was like, no, it's not <laughs> the most evidence-based thing we have in physical therapy is exercise. That's the most evidence-based thing we have in all of anything basically are I mean, maybe you could argue sleep and nutrition would be above exercise for like all things in medicine, but exercise in terms of intervention is, it's the only thing that is required for change. Like the other things can help make exercise more effective, but ultimately it's necessary and sufficient for changing the way that you move.
0: Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I, I, it, brings up for me, I've done a bunch in the healthcare industry, and I think physicians have a challenging problem because they, they prescribe certain things, lifestyle changes, stuff like that, and then a lot of people don't follow through on them. And I think a lot of physicians get jaded and they say, well, like, I have to give medicine because at least they'll take the medicine. They're not going to change their diet, but they'll take their medicine. I'm curious with, with PT because, you know, I know there's a lot of prescriptions in, hey, do these exercises when you go home. What's your take on, like, what percentage of people do you think really follow through, like are, are are putting in enough effort when they go home to have the kind of the results and how much yeah. of the other stuff people are doing is just trying to compensate from the fact that like a lot of people just won't do what you tell them to do.
1: Yeah. So can I swear on this podcast or no? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Okay. Let her, let so her rip. Somebody
1: said something to me recently that said, You know, ultimate, and this person thought that they were saying something really insightful and they said, you know, ultimately, really, it's not going to matter what you do if the patient doesn't do their exercises. If they don't do their exercises, they're not going to get better. And I I responded politely, but my internal monologue was, well, no shit, dude, like solving that problem is your job as a physical therapist, solving the problem of getting the patient to do the exercises is your job. So. Yes. Doctors will frequently say, yes, you, the patient needs to lose weight or the patient needs to make these interventions. And I say, Oh, the patient didn't do it. What am I going to do? Well, what did you, not that. And ultimately I understand that everyone is responsible for their own actions and like, you cannot force, you cannot guarantee that the person, the person uh, will do the intervention that you've prescribed. However, your job is to solve that problem. So what are you doing to get them to do that? Are you giving them the best advice? Are you explaining it in clear terms that they understand how this intervention will benefit them? Are you able to support your recommended interventions with relevant research? Are you you communicating with the patient in a way that they understand? Have you taught them to do the exercise in a way where they feel confident and safe doing it? are you like in my case, you know, I have most of my exercises, I have me on video on YouTube, teaching it exactly the way that I want it done. And then the patient comes to me, they get their treatment, we go over the exercise, I teach them in person. And then I send them an email with a link to a video of me again, teaching the same exercise. And I personally, of course, not everyone is perfect, but I don't have that problem in general of people not doing their exercises. Some people, you know, definitely are busy. It's harder to get them to change, but then you go into the rest of your toolkit for coaching behavior change. And there's Mm. lots of tools out there on that. If you don't think that that's possible to coach behavior change, like look into something called motivational interviewing. Like Mm. there are evidence-based tools for helping people to make changes uh, in their behavior. And, you got to get good at that stuff too. And if you like, Oh, well, I don't like that. It's like, okay, well th- fine. But that's the job. Like that's how you do it.
0: I freaking love it. Yeah. Preach. I mean, it, it, it's true. And I think that you're like, you came in there as a coach mindset. You'd already started studying coaching and viewed it as a discipline and having worked with a lot of physicians. And I'm not, I'm not kind of trying to, you know, bag on them, but they don't think of themselves as coaches. Like it's, it's just right. the whole industry is like, well, I have 15 minutes. I'm billing, I'm billing for these codes. It's, you know, I'm giving advice. It's, it's just not the the coaching mindset. And I, I, I don't know as many, many PTs personally, but it sounds like, you know, there, there's some that have that similar thing. And it's nice to hear that there's, there's others like you that, that aren't, because it's like, if people don't do it, you didn't have the, you didn't add the value you're trying to add. That's, that's part of the job. Um, Yeah. That's that. I I just, I love that. I think that's, I think that goes back to like what makes a good movement professional. And it's like, if somebody isn't taking responsibility for you actually getting better for you following through on their stuff, then like how good are they at their job?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, same person said uh, to me, well, ultimately it's not your responsibility for the, that the patient gets better. It's the patient's responsibility. And it's like, I can understand where you're coming from, but I do not see it that way at all. Like I just choose to take responsibility for that and do everything that I can. Now, is it going to work out for everybody? No. I, I mean, uh, I'm not a perfect physio and there's plenty of patients. It, it ends up being a small percentage in my experience of my caseload, but there are definitely patients for whom I'm not the guy and hmm. they don't, we don't have great rapport. They don't really buy what I'm selling and okay. Okay. I always try to encourage people though, don't give up on physio as a possibility just because I'm not the one like, right. and if you have a complex case and I don't have a ton of experience treating that case, I will still try, but I'll be honest from the beginning that like, you know, if you come to me with like chronic migraines, I don't have a long track record of treating cr- chronic migraine. I'll dive into the evidence. I'll find here's what I can, here's what evidence says works and I'll plan my work and work my plan and do my best. And, and I'll tell you what you can do in terms of exercise to try to make a difference. But if it doesn't work, don't give up on the possibility, but I might not be the the right dude for you. You know?
0: Yeah. I think it gets it. I mean, this mantra that, that you've highlighted that I'm just a huge believer in, which is teaching people to fish. Like it's, it's one thing to just like help people when you're there and, you know, to support them. It's another thing to equip them to be able to handle on their own. I, I know we're coming up on time. I want to hit on just a last couple of topics. One of which is just fascinating to me. You know, I, I discovered your work through Twitter. And what was fascinating was you've built up a kind of a following and almost like a um, you know, there's all these people that will just like put out the bat signal for for Sam yeah. and get you to come in to solve a, a physical therapy movement issue virtually with videos and stuff, which I consider to be one of the hardest things. Like getting someone help strength training, like showing them a yoga routine, like that's very easy to translate virtually physical therapy. I've never like felt like that was a very accessible thing to do online. And yet you're doing it and the results are pretty remarkable. Can you share a bit about that?
1: Yeah. So yeah. I mean, one thing about Twitter is like, I always try to like, I'll take a crack at anything, but you gotta, you know, the, there's a, there's a bargain in there that like, Hey, this is not, physical therapy in a legal sense. I'm not giving you true medical advice, but here's what you can try on your own. And I think one thing is like, there are things people can do that are worth a shot, that are low risk interventions to see if they can get some improvement. And for a lot of people scheduling an appointment with a physical therapist or or whoever else, whatever, you know, movement practitioner, is challenging logistically, uh, for cost, for schedule, for whatever reason. Um, and you can still take a crack at it yourself. And so Kelly Starrett was kind of the first guy I saw do it in terms of like teaching people how to do basically manual therapy on themselves with like foam rollers and lacrosse balls. And he, his, his company is called the ready state now. Um, but he kind of came out of CrossFit and he was a huge inspiration for me as a guy who was a strength coach and a physical therapist. And I was like, dang, this guy like really is bringing a higher perspective to the game. But, you know, with his kind of model, essentially I started messing around and was like, okay, I know what it feels like when I get my levator scapulae worked on. Can I create that feeling in myself? First off with just like a lacrosse ball. Okay. And then I messed around, played around, figured out how I could do it, that I could create the experience and then create the change in myself. So a lot of my videos would be like, do the test, do the intervention, do the retest. And it worked. It, now I could be just totally full of it. I could be faking it. Like, look how much more it moves. But I, I'm not, whether you believe me or not, I'm not when I like squat better on one side after I do the calf smash in the video. Um, but I was like, can I do it to myself? And then what I'm trying to do ultimately with whether it's exercise or these kind of manual therapy type interventions is I want you to be able to feel what it feels like when it's right or when it's better. And that feeling, you know, and it's like, you know, feeling within your own body, like your kinesthetic awareness, your proprioception of like where your joints are, like how does it feel when it's done in a more effective way? Can you change, can you use these manual therapy type tools to, to make the squat feel quote unquote better, like for you more towards your like kind of ideal version of a squat for your body. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of messed around a lot with it and like tried to find things that that worked for me, that worked for other people, that, you know, worked for my patients, worked for my students in the gym back in the day. And, you know, can I, ultimately a lot of problems are super easy when it comes to looking at it from a physical therapy standpoint, People are like, oh, I got this pain. I keep talking about this muscle of the levator scapula. It's just like something that's tight on most people. It connects the top corner of the shoulder blade into the middle of the neck. And a lot of people are like, Oh man, you know, I got this pain in the back of my neck. It's just, so and the, you know, a lot of the, like, you know, Twitter interactions are just simple things like that, where it's like, well, yeah, just here, do this video, stick a lacrosse ball in it. And they're like, Oh my God, it made a huge difference. And again, that's just like a simple problem to solve. Um, but, the general, the average person doesn't even know what the anatomy in that area looks like. So it's simple for me, but it's complex for you. Can I make it simpler for you? That's kind of the, the, you know, again, like that's the job.
0: You, you mentioned the kind of awareness of your body. And it, one of the things that's been fun for me the last few years is just realizing kind of embodiment exercises, embodiment awareness And it's weird because I was an athlete my whole life that I thought I like had a good sense of my body, but I was really very disconnected. Have you, have you seen as you've gone deeper and deeper down these rabbit holes that you've become more embodied? Were you always like that? Um, just curious. definitely
1: much more. So, um, very, uh, you know, didn't do a ton of like challenging exercise really until I got into CrossFit. And then when I was doing cross, I was very results-based, you know, outcome-based um, in my thinking. But I did, the early kernel started when I really started to focus on technique as like a my competitive advantage. That was kind of the beginning of that embodiment it was like, all right, being really aware of my positioning and the feeling of the movement, feeling like, I try to not say like too much of like good bad correct incorrect etc but more towards a more ideal movement pattern for me produce just more output okay and then now embodiment if, if like it, as a that's a good way that's a good term I don't use that term a lot but that is a good term is more of the goal than a means toward achieving a different goal it will help you if your goal is to perform better but to me, the process of the workout is one of becoming more skillful in my movement moving through a larger range of motion uh being able to produce more force throughout that full range of motion being able to resist forces that try to change my movement so like one thing and I, you mentioned earlier you asked earlier like what's a a movement pattern everybody should be doing and what i didn't mention that i really truly believe for most people is resisting Movement. So core mm. training occurs to a lot of people like sit-ups, things like side no. crunches, crunches, whatever. And that, I think even that idea to a lot of people has like, okay, sit-ups are, are out, sit-ups are stone age. Like we don't do that anymore. But what you're actually trying to train with core strength training is resisting movement. Mm. So for example, a hollow body hold or a dead bug exercise, these yeah. are common things. Are about resisting extension. So preventing the front of your ribs from getting farther away from the front of your pelvis. Or if you're training extension, resisting flexion. If you're training like a side plank, you're resisting lateral flexion. You might be resisting rotation. A paloff press is a great example of a rotation resistant exercise, but being able to resist movements, um, is a really effective thing. And in terms of embodiment, that has for me become the point. The point is to become, to be able to really feel my body and the way it moves. And that's where all the benefit comes from. I feel like I used to work out where I'd feel worse after I worked out than before, whether it was just extreme exertion or pushing tissues beyond the limit of what they could do. But now I'm at a point where when the workout is over, I feel better than I did at the start. And a lot of that is my mood because I've been focused 100% on getting into my body, which getting into the body, you know, is the goal of a lot of people who practice meditation, mindfulness activities, um, different movement practices, but that, you know, is the biggest benefit more than like an increase in strength or range of motion to me is that I feel better in my body by connecting to it.
0: This is so huge, because I think that, that it's just fun. Like awareness of your body, being in your body is fun. And it brings a lot of the benefits. Like so many people are working out for the future. I want to lose weight. I want to be stronger, working out to reconnect with your body, to get in your body and feeling everything that's going on there is freaking cool. And it feels good. It feels good during it. It feels good after. And it starts to like just ripple across your life. So I, I, I just have one final question for you. Um, this has been awesome and we could go on, we could, we could do another hour easily. Um, but I, I think, you know, I'm fascinated by, you know, where people are in their own kind of evolution and and journey. And it seems like, you know, you've been kind of like in this season of renewal, starting your in-person practice. Um, I know that you and, and our pal GCS have a new, a new project you're cooking up, but just in general, whether that or anything else, is there anything emerging for you in the next year or so that you're just like really excited about, um, things that you're, you're pumped to lean into?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, you know, what I'm trying to figure out now and the, the, the project with GCS is, is part of this. And he's a great follow on Twitter for people. Awesome, dude. Everybody follow GCS. Yeah. I mean, he just has a a spark of like a joie de vivre and Mm. uh, a curiosity and, um, that that brings me a lot of energy. So I've, it's been a pleasure to to get to know him and, and start to work on a little project with them, but we're we're working together on this and I'm working independently as well. I'm like, how do... So right now I have kind of my clinical practice and I have my side hustle, which is the Move Better project. And the only thing I offer is like a consulting service and it's expensive. It costs 125 bucks for a half hour call with me and I'll put together a Google Doc for you. But you can kind of take a crack at your own stuff. You know, I'll, I'll show you... I'll try to teach you how to fish and fix your knee problem, shoulder problem, whatever it is. But what I'm trying to figure out now is I've, I've got a year plus of doing this type of consulting practice with people from all over the world. Um, and I've learned a lot about what are the most common complaints and a lot of, of course, common patterns emerge. So how can I, in the spirit of trying to help the most people, because the most people in the world are not going to be able to, you know, do consulting with me. There's only so many hours in the day, etc. But can I create more material that's accessible to more people that is a little more detailed than like my YouTube channel where there's just some one off videos and some things that you can put together, but can I put together programs for, uh, you know, problem X you know, and here's how to figure out where you are on the spectrum of say, shoulder pain. Can you like not lift your arm off the side of your body? Do you have like a little bit of pain at the top of the range of motion? What's your restriction? And here's how you figure out where you are and how you kind of wherever you're at on the spectrum of like, uh, you know, disability to high performance. Like here's how you move along that. Um, So trying to, to create more resources that are like more standardized, that are accessible to more people to, again, just try to get people to be able to, to solve your own problems. Um, because to return to something you mentioned earlier, as amazing as great body work can be great treatment that you receive from others can be, it will never truly, now there's exceptions of course, like you might have like, I have patients all the time who come in and they're in pain and then we do one thing and then their pain is gone. It's not that I fix it. It's just that like there was a mechanical problem that just needed a quick solution, but very broadly, nobody's going to fix it for you. Hmm. You know, they might show you how to fix it yourself, but nobody's going to fix it for you and empowering people to just like, use their own problem solving skills and solve their own problems when it comes to movement. That's the, the long-term and short term and, and medium term mission for me. Um, and even with the clinical practice, I do a lot of sticking needles in people and joint, you know, joint mobilization, soft tissue work and all kinds of things where I'm doing things to the patient. But everything that I'm doing is just trying to help them be able to solve their own problem more effectively. Cause really, You know, even with, even if we use dry needling as an example, the needle doesn't fix anything. The needle creates a wound. The needle creates a lesion, soft tissue work, pressure, putting pressure on something is not fixing anything. It's you're actually hurting the person in a way you're hurting the person so that their body heals itself. The needle just tells the body, heal this, like, come here, you muscle stop contracting, blood flow, come in here, fix this. So even with more like, you know, practitioner centered treatments like that, the goal is still for the patient to heal themselves. And yeah, I think that's, that's really in where I want to go with it is like, how can I help more people Well, creating more standardized solutions? I think to the most common problems that are accessible to the biggest number of people. I think that's, the problem that I'm trying to solve now.
0: I love it. Yeah, I mean, my big thing is just trying to inspire more people to take ownership of this idea that we can renew ourselves. I think what you're pointing at is, you know, a way that people can start to recapture these innate natural movements that you see in in babies. And you know, I like, I, I'm really excited about what you're building because I think it could be huge to just help more people unlock the power of their body, get back into their body, you know, find the joy in that. And I think, you know, once you start doing that, it's just, um, it's all you know, all downhill, you know, a snowball that just builds and builds. Um, uh, so this has been so fun. You know, I thank you so much, Sam, for coming on. Um, we'll link to your YouTube. We'll kind of point out, um, you know, where people can find you on Twitter. Any final thoughts, final words for people as, uh, as they're thinking about how to get started with all this stuff?
1: No. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I've had a, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Sam. And I think that you've asked questions that have, uh, energized me in a way to think about, you know, to reflect on on the way that I do things. And and as I talk about, you know, you ask questions and I answer them, I think it, it makes me reflect that actually, like, I don't have answers to every single thing. It might sound, I, I speak with confidence on a lot of topics because I have experience, experience in this area and I've done a lot of study, but I think just to emphasize that I actually know very little when it comes to human movement in the scale of what a person can know. And I'm still young in my career. I have a lot to offer for people who've not been exposed to, um, to trying to solve their own problems. I think that's, that's my, that's my working assumption right now is that I have a lot to offer people, but, uh, there's, you know, you, you mentioned earlier something about like thinking about all the problems that a person might realize that they have when it comes to movement and that being daunting. And the things that I don't know yet that I'm yet to learn about how to solve problems, how to move better, how to help people do those same things. You know, there's just still so much more for me to learn and then try to the you know mission of kind of my professional uh career at this point is like continue to suck in more knowledge and information that's out there and then be able to synthesize that and produce it in a way that people can use practically so um i guess just the last thing i would say is like i'm i'm not an expert you know i i, I i'm an expert in comparison to many but you know, I built up this current knowledge base over a very long period of time and I'm just getting started. So try not to, you know, if you're somebody who's dealing with, uh, you know, a laundry list of movement problems, just start working at it. Just start working at one, pick the number one priority and start working at it. There's it's, you can do a ton to improve your situation right now and in the long term. Um, so just, just give yourself a chance
0: beautiful yeah and and sam's modeling the other thing that i think is so common with the the best practitioners i've found is humility and just you know a voracious curiosity to learn so i i have no doubt that um you know even though you're early in your career the people coming in are are lucky to have found you and um yeah thanks again for coming on sam this was a blast and uh i'll we we look forward to more conversations i have a lot more i want to chat with you about absolutely thank you Thanks for listening. There's so much I took away from that conversation with Sam. As he mentioned, the human body is endlessly fascinating, and there's so much more to learn here. So I'm excited to bring on other guests who can share their wisdom on how we can reconnect to the full power of our bodies. If you're intrigued by our discussion around embodied exercise, I just wrote an essay about why I believe this approach can help more people discover more joy for exercise. I'll link to it in the show notes. As always, don't hesitate to reach out with ideas. And please share the On Renewal podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Thanks so much.